The children of Hakim would keep to themselves for many years after he had denounced his clan for having failed in the task that Hakim and his siblings had put on them. During the Greek and Persian era, few clans would see the need to travel to their lands, and thus they were mostly left to their own devices. Yet when the Romans, and subsequently the Byzantine Empire, spread their reach far and wide, the Banu Hakim would once more be forced to interact with the other clans. At this point, the children would have begun to sell their services to whatever Canaanites would pay well, often demanding reimbursements in blood or the right to diabolize. Yet as a whole, the clan cared little for the Romans, and the Ventura and Malkavians likewise had close to no interest in the children of Hakim, who they considered isolationists and useful soldiers, but little more. Yet that would come to change once the city-state of Carthage began to grow in power. The Banu Hakim would be the second biggest clan to seek haven in this now legendary city, and the Phoenician capital reminded the older children of the second city, of the state their kind had been in when they walked amongst mortals like gods. Many of them feared what was to come, remembering equally well how the other clans had failed in following their sire's commands in the words of Cain. Would they need to once more become judges, ensuring that the Bruja would not sully the commandments of Cain and Hakim further? Yet as they traveled to Carthage, they were welcomed with open arms, invited to stay in this paradise of Cainites. Over time, their suspicion vanished, replaced with complacency and acceptance of this new lifestyle. Mortals and Cainites lived side by side, the kind not treated unfairly, although the occasional unintended accident did still occur, and the judges would lower their guard. They would adopt the mindset of the philosopher kings they shared the city with, and when things would slowly and gradually turn twisted and corrupted, they, like the Bruja, would fall to its allure. Somewhere between the First and Second Punic War, the truth of the matter would finally reach Alamut as an older warrior was invited by his own child in a ritual to consume the blood and flesh of a child. Horrified by what he was shown, he cut his way out of the city, escaping through the mountain yet hounded by the servants of the corrupted masters of Carthage. The children's response was immediate. They had not strayed far enough from the teachings of Hakim to tolerate acts that stunk of the Bali. They destroyed most of the creatures that had chased the warrior, the scant few survivors running back to their masters with their tails tucked between their legs. The children would infiltrate Carthage, acting in secret as they slowly tracked down each of their fallen brethren and removing them from this world. By the time of Rome's final attack on the city, in 146 BCE, there were but a scant few of the corrupt children of Hakim left alive in the city and they were destroyed as the forces of the Ventru, Malkavians, and their allies leveled the city to the ground and salting the soil beneath it. Yet the Romans cared not for the lives of those Banu Hakim who had helped them achieve this victory. In the eyes of the attackers, there were no differences between these Canaanites and those demon worshippers that they were there to destroy, and their Ventru and Malkavian masters, who knew, did nothing to stop this slaughter. To them, Carthage was a rival as well, and if the Banu Hakim fell with them, so much the better. Very few of the children survived this attack, returning to the element with news of the massacre, and with the expansion of the Roman Empire the children could no longer ignore it. Thus they would invest much time and effort into helping the Parsian Empire stand against the Romans. It did, but it was costly for the Banu Hakim, who when dealing with these mortal politics, inevitably had to interact with Canaanites of other clans. Slowly but surely they would learn to maneuver the Jihad, to trick and tempt and manipulate with their tongues and money. While they were still embittered by the betrayal of the Roman Cainites, the children of Hakim could inevitably hide themselves no longer, and by the time of the Byzantine Empire's rise, they were entrenched in the Jihad. 
The clan realized that the Byzantines would accomplish feats the Romans had only dreamed of, yet they were split on how to approach it. The western children felt that their clan should support Byzantium from the beginning, ensuring themselves a crucial role in its empire's founding. The eastern children, however, regarded their western brethren as forsaking further the tenets of Hakim, arguing instead that as long as Persia and Arabia remained safe, so too would the clan be left alone from the politicizing of the others. This was purely a conflict of opinion, none of the clan's members drawing the other's blood over it, yet it would drive a wedge of distrust between the two sides that would last for many more years to come. In 636, the children of Hakim saw the Byzantine Empire lose Palestine and Syria to the Arabs, and in this war's shadow, the Bali had once more risen in their twisted capital of Chorazin. Several warriors of the clan rode out in order to once more bring an end to the Infernalists, yet most of them were captured, and as the remainder of the clan learned of this, and set out in larger number to besiege the accursed city, they found themselves succumbing to an overwhelming thirst for vampiric blood. Indeed, the Bali had sacrificed all but one of the captured warriors to put a terrible curse on the children of Hakim in retribution for the losses they had cost them. While the children had originally developed a taste for the vitae of other kindred, the curse multiplied this thirst many folds, and eventually it would come to spread throughout the entire clan, despite the best attempts of their sorcerers to counter it. In time, they would learn to temper their thirst, but they would never lose it completely. Eventually both Rome and Byzantium would fall, but the children of Hakim never quite returned to their isolationist ways. They would join caravans heading east and south, traveling deep into the African continent and all the way to India, meeting canines and other creatures of the night, with whom they would eventually build if not a friendly relationship, then at least a respectful tolerance with each other. Europe was primarily hostile towards their kind during this time. With the fall of the great empires, noble families would carve out their own domains and rule unchallenged, supported by the church whom they paid a heavy tithe to. While it was fine to employ the children as soldiers and contract killers, most canines of Europe disliked having them in their courts. Thus, the Banu Hakim rarely spent much time in the north, if it wasn't for earning money or blood tithes. This income they would begin to share with their sires. Scholars argue where this tradition might have begun, but it is commonly accepted that an Ethiopian spearmaster and caliph of the clan by the name of Muhara grew so frustrated with his childer's mercenary work that he mockingly demanded a tithe for their earnings to make up for the shame they brought on him. His childer, however, thought that he was being serious, and they did pay him a fifth of their income, and soon other children of Hakim followed suit in order to improve their relationships with their masters. The Crusades against Jerusalem was when, for the first time since the fall of Carthage, the Banu Hakim faced off against other European Canaanites in war. Despite whatever mortal reasoning behind it, the children realized that for the vampiric heirs of Rome and Byzantium, this was an outright attempt to wipe out their clan. In the two and a half or so centuries that these wars raged, the clan of Hakim sharpened themselves into a blade, shedding unnecessary traditions and habits, mastering the art of murder and assassination above all else. They were feared amongst mortals and Canaanites alike, and it is from this period that the stories of the bloodthirsty Asamites originate, for the majority of their warriors had now succumbed to the curse of the Bali. The burning times followed in the wake of the Crusades, and the fall of Constantinople, and with it came the Anarch Revolt. The Banu Hakim were relatively untouched by the cleansing flames of the church, yet they watched with anticipation as Childer fell upon their sires in its wake. The children knew it was their time to act, and they provided aid to the young Canaanites who revolted against their elders. They spread chaos and death across Europe, 
although their primary contribution was not assassinations, but rather instructing these Anarchs in how to wage war more efficiently. That being said, the Knight of Ashes in Berlin would certainly indicate that they were not above the occasional wet work, as they exterminated every Knight in the city but for a visiting Prince of Hamburg in a single night. A blood hunt was called on the Banu Hakim, instigated, it is believed, by a carefully constructed lie spread by Atreus of the Tremere. Far too easily the viziers and sorcerers of the children were forgotten, replaced in the minds of kindred and canines alike by the warriors, the killers of Hakim. And they grew proudful from this. The Camarilla declared them a danger to the entire vampiric race, and thus they were hunted ferociously by those loyal to the tower, their craftsmen and scholars now forgotten by the others. As the embers died down from the pyres and the wars, the Convention of Thorns was summoned, and the Banu Hakim attended, but soon confirmed that it was merely a farce. The Camarilla had no intention of inviting their clan, fearing and loathing them in equal measures, and thus the Tremere, who had a strong desire to impress upon the other clans their importance to this new endeavor, cursed the Banu Hakim with their own brand of blood magic. They removed the ability for the Asamites to feed on the blood of other kindred. This was a grave insult and one which earned the warlocks an enemy for unlife. Not only did the children now have to contest with an unbearable thirst, they could no longer slake it. Some of the children would have nothing of it, and while the Caliph Jamal ascended the Black Throne, the previous eldest having sacrificed himself to him in repentance for failing to prevent the Tremere blood curse, they set out to Chorazin, the Bali capital, to seek an end to the curse. They found it, but at a terrible price, and only a small number of warriors survived, the viziers and sorcerers sacrificed so that the curse could be lifted. These warriors would become the anti-tribute and side with the Sabbat. The children of Hakim have always referred to themselves as such, although in various permutations such as the heirs of Hakim or the sons or daughters of Hakim and such. The term Asamite was never their invention, but rather it sprung into use as other Canaanites heard the Arabic pronunciation of their name and tried to replicate it with their Western language. Thus the term Asamite, which shares a not too surprising linguistic origin with the assassins, the Hashashins, who were warriors and assassins also known to live on a mountain called the Alamut, ruled by an eldest. And speaking of the eldest, you will have found, having listened to me speaking of the children, that I had few words to spare for the internal structure and traditions of the Banu Hakim. Indeed, it is so, and therefore I hope you will join me in the next video, where I will, more thoroughly, discuss how the clan operates, what divides them, and how the latest addition to the Ivory Tower are getting along in the modern night. Their numbers are five, and they are dark gods. Snow, an insightful yet compassionate master. Bambi Parsons, whose passion inspires and leads by example. Dr. Sheepington, a sage and venerable keeper of ancient wisdom, the unemployed writer whose words have guided nations through the aeons, and Dugal, the ancient and terrifying who stalks the night. These are our masters, and to worship them is to attain salvation. Their childhood the Methuselah sit like kings and queens above us, their wills ours to obey. They are Her Satanic Majesty Danny, reborn through fire and ice, Maximilian S. Hardcastle, a master of our ancient jihad, Socrates Johnson, a scholar and mentor, the ambitious and loyal Lauren Eason, as well as the enigmatic yet influential Procyon. On the Council of the Primogen are seated Edward Reed, Colin Gifford, Ciro Zix, Stonewolf 18, Joker Munn, Ian Nichols, the Black Friar, 
Ravenfang, Brad Hardwick, and Pilgrim, wise leaders and of good judgment all. This week, the Council will wish to honor the Elder Remy Van Roy and the Ancile Al. We thank you for your loyalty. Of course, all our elders, Ancile and neonates, receive our gratitude from the bottoms of our hearts. Without your support, this would not be possible. And thank you for watching. Now be careful out there, for Gehenna may soon be upon us. <laughs>